0: Welcome back to another episode of the Rare Disorder podcast of my Meet an Expert series. Today, I have a special guest with me, Ms. Tara Britt. Ms. Britt is the founder and president of the global nonprofit RDII, or Rare Disease Innovations Institute, and has extensive experience in the rare disease community. Tara, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast today. Just to get started, and so my listeners can get to know you a bit, could you please give a brief introduction of yourself?
1: Oh, certainly, certainly. Um, My name is Tara Britt, and I'm president and founder of the Rare Disease Innovations Institute, as you were saying, and I'm also associate chair of the North Carolina Rare Disease Advisory Council. All
0: right, thank you. So um, as you mentioned, you have lots of extensive background and experience in the rare disease community so what initially got you into the rare disease community like this could be a connection a story or just anything like that
1: oh sure so i went to work at chapel hill unc chapel hill about 12 years ago and i worked in gene therapy and it was really exciting to to meet, you know to work every day with the researchers and clinicians and they were it was all about rare disease they were you know they they were uh focused on the gene therapy to cure certain rare diseases and um after working with them for a while i've started to meet families that were coming in to see some of the researchers trying to fund research to get their diseases you know into clinical trials and things of that nature and i met an advocate named sharon king whose daughter taylor had batten disease and uh and and we went on to uh, to uh, uh, go to the legislature and to uh, you know uh, we had a legislative breakfast to and she wanted she said let's create a council let's create the first ever rare disease advisory council so we uh, with some help from friends that um, were seasoned lobbyists uh, we educated the legislature about rare disease and our bill passed through within four short months from start to finish and it was unanimous and we were the first rare disease advisory council created in the nation.
0: Mm-hmm. So about that council like what are the goals and mission of that council? Um, I know you mentioned how it was founded but like what are the main motives and goals of the council?
1: It's a state appointed council and it, its goals and its goals are to serve the people of North Carolina that have rare disease. So for example, I've been working with that this year through RDII and associate chair of the council. We put in new legislation this year with some other organizations to um, put a time limit on newborn screening indications. So, for example, we added several new indications several years ago, and because of COVID, they had not started testing um, for those. And so we have been um, very... say this directed to to really make sure that nothing like this happens again where you've got newborn screening the legislation's passed but yet um you know it's not being tested for so we had that that legislation is in this year to pass through that gives the state lab a time limit in which to test so we are here as representing the citizens of north carolina who not just who have a rare disease but the, the rare disease community caregivers um anybody connected I mean it, it really if a person has a rare disease it really bleeds off into the whole community.
0: Mm-hmm. So are you like aware if other states have similar councils like North Carolina has this council?
1: Um, there are some councils um, right now yes and with RDII that was why I created RDII initially we're a, a nonprofit focused on um, education policy and data And the whole goal was, so we were created, I was, I created that so that I could go into other states. Like I'm working in several states right now, creating councils. And actually what we're also doing is we're implementing councils. So there have been some councils that have been passed, but they, for some reason, they just never got up and going. So I'm working with several states now on how to get up and going. Once you have the legislation through, how to implement implement the council
0: so about rdii what are some ways that it works with congress and state legislators
1: so um i am now leading a uh, steering committee um through congressman butterfield's office to identify to have icd codes for every rare disease right now patient advocates have to jump through hoops in order to get a code for their diseases And it's just, it's very, the the whole process is just not very transparent. So I have people like NIH on my steering committee, my friend who's head of um, uh, Policy for Every Life Foundation, which is a a rare disease organization, um, and, and several other people, patient advocates. So we are, we're leading, RDI is leading that, for at the federal level. And then at the state level, we're involved in things like this newborn screening and every council that we're trying to launch across the US, we are doing that through partnerships. So it's not, in my opinion, it's not just about launching a council. You can launch a council and say check box and then you're done. It's not about that. It's about, okay, what are they gonna focus on once we get, you know, we get the council created? Um, and that's where we help. So I work with partners about patient and market access, partners in DC, um, that's through the Rare Action, Rare Access Action Project in DC. They they help they help me with um, access issues with these states, and then um, I also work like closely with people like the Every Life Foundation on the newborn screening. Um, and what we do is we evaluate that when we go into a state, and so we are not just evaluating the state in terms of putting the council in. It's about what can we do and jump in. And I think about I wish. To, I'd known that when we created North Carolina's council, but through learning, through creating one council and then working in other states, creating them, it just makes so much sense to go to collaborate with others and let mm-hmm. them bring in their expertise and like so people. When the, once they're appointed, they can hit the ground running.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know, like Every Life Foundation is really big in legislation, advocacy, and stuff like yes. that. Um, I'm actually a part of their like young adult. Um, program, so I've had some experience with like the legislation side of things and stuff like that.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a, did you do the Yard Leadership Academy?
0: Um, not yet, but I'm going to do that in the future. I actually, yeah, I, I actually recently just joined, so um, I'm going to my first meeting on Thursday.
1: That's awesome. I usually um, I gave the kickoff talk this past this past time for the, this last class, so it was really nice.
0: Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's great to hear. I'm really excited because I've always been interested in like health policy, and like public health, and um, I really wanted to get into like the legislation side of things outside of advocacy as well. So I feel like this would be like a really great opportunity for me to like do that. So oh,
1: yeah. absolutely, absolutely.
0: Yeah. All right, so um, through RDII, I know that it has developed like exclusive toolkits. Um, that provides other states to build upon the learning and and success of North Carolina, um, enabling creation of of successful councils and unique rare disease networks. Um, And when I was learning about these cool toolkits, I noticed that these are really state tailored to the unique rare disease population. Um, So I was just wondering if you could give us a peek into what a toolkit for a state looks like and how they might differ from state to state And also if you see the states leveraging these toolkits and what benefits you see across different states.
1: Yeah, a lot of what the toolkit is, I do have reports that I run. So if a state is not aware of um, who they have in the state, you're like your gene therapy experts or your rare disease experts. Mm -hmm. I have um, reports that I run that show who's been funded by NIH in those groups. So that really helps us to put together to assemble some key people for the state. And then there are some states, like I'm working with Washington state right now, some states like Washington, they already have people on the ground basically that are already doing such outstanding work in rare disease. Mm -hmm. So it it, is tailored differently for every single state. And you know, the other thing we don't do, these are not RDII councils. I don't believe in that. We're a grassroots nonprofit, and I believe you empower the people in the state. So even though we might write the legislation, the legislation goes to the people on the ground in the state and we teach them also, how not just about, you know, the legislation, but it's also about how do you talk to legislators mm-hmm. and you taught it when I was working in the legislature trying to get our council through, um, you, you, rare disease. First of all, is bipartisan. It is bipartisan. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat or what you are, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And so, yeah, I, part of the toolkit is telling them how to talk with legislators um, I, I once when I was talking to Democratic legislators I said certain things and then when I talked to Republican legislators I, I mentioned other things that I knew would be important and it is very it is you have to have bipartisan support in these states both Democrat and Republican to get these councils um, to get these councils created
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then the most important thing is that you have a good the, that the states have a good team of people on their councils so yeah and i don't um other people that create councils they have political appointees and i i don't agree with political appointees mm-hmm. on any council i think everybody has to be committed to the rare disease community um and that's why they serve on that, those councils because they're committed
0: so have you seen um these toolkits being like really helpful to the states and like have they been taking advantage of these toolkits? Absolutely, um, okay. and not just on the
1: create, not just on the creation, but on the implementation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great to hear because I feel like once people have the resources, they will then like utilize them and use them to their best ability, um, and especially to have like the resources all in one place. Because I know sometimes there can be like so many org- organizations, and you really don't know where to start.
1: Yeah, that's why. That's why I see the collaboration between us and others very i think it's critical because you know to me it, i started out thinking oh we'll create councils with these states but mm-hmm. it's much it's got to be much more than that that's that's and that's how we build up the toolkits mm-hmm. it is the collaboration partners because it's like i said earlier it's not enough just to create them they have to be able to to be implemented and have key factors that are going to really have a positive effect on the rare disease community and some states are stronger, like some states like uh, Texas, they're very strong with their access. Mm-hmm. Um, North Carolina is not as strong with access, so I bring people in that are experts in that to help in North with North Carolina with that. Mm-hmm. So, it, yeah, different different ones of these states have very, very different strengths, and it's just um, it's been really during COVID, um, it's been really humbling and just kind of wonderful in a way because you work from home so much in your own zoom calls and so now i work with so many people across the u.s and Mm -hmm. then we form partnerships so it's really nice that the states you know that have leaders um like myself um, in each state and the patient advocates that are in the state that we kind of form a network across the u.s and and it, it leads to other things other things as well like right now i'm working with texas and washington state and some of the more rural populations and we we created a um uh, rare disease, uh uh rare disease a rural rural rare disease community project and so we're going to be getting data and information from just talking to patients and caregivers and finding out what the challenges are living in rural rural parts of the US
0: oh that's honestly so interesting because i know for some um rare diseases in those areas it might be like hard to get um resources and then also like the proper doctor to meet your needs um and i know like those environmental and economic um factors can really come into play especially in the area of rare diseases that don't get as much attention as um other diseases so yeah like
1: delayed diagnosis
0: Mm -hmm. that is a huge you know issue um but it's
1: Yeah, I I think I'm just so amazed with the rare disease community to be honest with you, because I'm so amazed at these people that are leading policy and organizations and writing policies and doing all this, you know, advocacy work, and then they're still taking care of a sick parent or sick children that has a Mm -hmm. rare, you know, that have rare disease. I mean, they're my heroes. I, I, I don't even have words and, you know, I tell people all the time I'm here because I chose to be here, but they're here because that that you
0: know
1: because mm-hmm. it, it, they were kind of forced into that you know uh not choosing it but they are they are they are some of the hardest working um patient advocates that i've ever been around in my life it's it's been really like i said it's just been it's been um i've been very grateful to be able to work with a lot of these people
0: yeah i 100 percent agree and same with me like before i found the community like i really didn't know this existed and then when i became like more involved in stuff, it really like amazed me of all the work people were doing. Um, and you can really find people in like every sector of rare disease, like advocacy, awareness, yeah. um, legislation, and there's just so many like different um, ways for patients to get involved. So yeah, it really does amaze me too. It
1: is amazing people.
0: Um, yes, yeah, so since RDII was founded um what progress has it made such as like some accomplishments achievements along the way
1: um well we're fairly we really we we were created a few years ago but then i took it in a different different direction during covid and i I, i've since retired from uh unc Mm -hmm. and i decided to run it full-time so it's only been the last year and a half two years that we've really been on the ground so right now you know we are working in states to get legislation created like I said, the legislation implemented, and also the data gathering, and then federal policy and state policy as much as possible because you know it's so. You know, people ask me all the time if you are working on legislation in a state, and it's between depending on the state, and it's between getting legislation passed for newborn screening or getting a council created. What 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 do you what do you do? What do you choose? And I said you always choose life, and that's newborn screening. I mean, a council can come along at any time, but. Mm-hmm. The you know newborn screening, I can't. That is one of the most important things in the rare disease community, in my, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And access to ac- access to these. The other part, I'm leading a a, a state steering committee for ARM Foundation, and we're calling them the Rare Disease Educational Forums, and we've launched in six states so far. And I've helped them launch in all the other states, and uh, we are looking at educating the legislators about cell and gene medicine. Mm-hmm. And the impacts of uh, the impacts of uh, not having Medicaid expansion on that, you know, with selling gene medicine and these treatments and things of that nature too. So we're um, we're trying to educate le- legislators about selling gene medicine and access for these gene therapies that are they're coming down the pike. They're here, mm-hmm. and they're very expensive treatments. But everybody should have that needs, wants access should have access.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so could you briefly, like, describe different types of legislation you've worked on, or, like, with this organization? Like, you mentioned um, newborn screening. Could you talk about, like, some of the other pieces of legislation?
1: Well, I co-wrote the legislation to create the councils. So I'm writing council legislation in several states right now to create councils. Mm-hmm. And then also, at the federal level, like I said, we are leading the ICD code um, legislation on Capitol Hill. I'm also involved at the federal level with the newborn screening federal legislation. So I'm on a committee with that as well.
0: Oh yeah, that's great to hear. Um, Yeah, so for ICD codes, that's something I'm like really passionate about um, advocating for in the rare disease community too. Um, And I've like recently done a lot of research about that. And um, yeah, it's just something I'm really interested in. And I just think it's really like, really raises like a health equity issue when rare diseases don't have ICD codes, um, because- Well, you can't determine
1: the prevalence. Mm-hmm. There's no way to determine the prevalence. I've been talking to NIH about doing this for two or three years, mm-hmm. and you can't determine the prevalence of rare disease, and there, therefore, there may not be treatments coming because people don't know what the prevalence of the diseases are, and I think that's, it, it's vital. And mm-hmm. in just the whole process, the current process is very painful for advocates, and foundations to have to go through and I was going to tell you if I I'll send you we're going to have a ICD workshop Mm -hmm. if you want to just attend it um with my steering committee I will send that out to you and that might be something you're interested in uh, following with this legislation Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I would really actually be interested in that because um and just going off of like what you said about ICD codes like it's supposed to be a universal like um, way to name all diseases, and then if, like, rare diseases aren't included, I feel like um, if, like, a patient has a disease, the doctor can't really note it down in any way, so I- They s- just do
1: the they, they What the doctors say is they they only- they're treating the people for the symptoms, so yeah. that's what's recorded. Like, if you come in with a bad headache, you've really got a rare disease. Yeah, that's- it, it's going to be a big undertaking, and we don't know if we can get- how automated we could do this, but we want to do we want the process to be
0: very transparent to everybody that's so important mm-hmm. and and for it
1: not to be such a process that is on the patient's shoulders,
0: yeah, yeah, and I feel like that can like result in misdiagnosis or something um if they don't know like the rare disease and stuff like that, yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, about the workshop, I'd really be interested in learning more about that, so um. Yeah,
1: I'm putting it together with uh, um, Andy Kennedy with Every Life Foundation, so we're kind of like hosting it, and then my um, steering committee co-chair, Jason Slotnick, who's on Capitol Hill, and this is his, he writes policy for this type of thing, so um, we're we're hosting it, and um, it's on September the 16th at 2, so I can send it to you, and you can just be, you know, you can be on there and, you know, help help follow this with us if you want to.
0: Yeah, I would love to um okay. all right so just like to kind of finish off now I was wondering if there's like any other resources that you would like to share with my podcast listeners um my audience is primarily primarily comprised of rare disease patients caregivers and also leaders from rare disease organizations oh yeah, yeah so I mean I think
1: what, one of the first things we did myself and some patient advocates um in north carolina once we created our council and i want to do this for the other states as we go into them if you go to the council site which is north carolina, north nc org, if you go to that council site you will see a resources tab and people say they just keep reinventing the wheel you know, re, you know because they're like nobody there's not like one place to go to see oh how do i get this type of assistance or how do i get? Um, can I stay for free at a, you know, like the Ronald McDonald houses? Oh, my child needs, for example, I was working with this family and she's actually works with RDI, um, the mother and now, but anyway, I met them through their transplant surgeon for one of their children at UNC's hospital and he said, oh, there's Parvati and her husband Krishnan, you know, he said. Um, let me see if they'll come over here and talk. And that was the first, I'd met with her on emails, but that was the first time in person. And I said, and they've had two children with ultra rare diseases. So they lived in hospitals, basically. And I said, what is it that um, I can help do for you? And she says, well, our son needs to go to Boston Children's. He's been accepted into a, a program there that could possibly help his condition. And he has ultra rare diseases. And she said, but the hospital um, in North Carolina would not release him. They said, well, if you are going to take him to Boston Children's, you'll have to pay for medical transport out of your pocket, Mm -hmm. which is about $40,000. And just that very week, two days before that, I had met with the director of the Children's Flight of Hope in RTP, where we live. And I said, well, if you don't mind, can you send me an email in the morning and can you send it to me and can you tell me that you don't mind if I share it, you know, to try to see what I can do to help you Mm. and say a little bit about what the the issues were with health related concerns, you know, with, with your son. And I sent it, she sent it to me, gave me permission to share it. And at nine o'clock the next morning, I emailed, forwarded that email to the girl that I met earlier that week in Children's Flight of Hope. And within one hour, they told her she had a flight and the next day they took the flight to Boston, but people don't know these things exist. So having like a, and all these states, this is going to be so vital when we create these councils, that's where you have a resources tab on our, our network site, and it tells you all the resources in North Carolina from the financial ones to the social security to legal, map, all types of resources like the Children's Flight of Hope, like mm-hmm. Ronald McDonald House, all of these different things, because you don't want to go, you don't want to just keep searching every time something comes up. You want mm-hmm. to go one place here's what i need to know and here's where i need to go to do it and i want to launch that in all the states as well as 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 soon as we start launching councils Mm -hmm. and implementing councils all
0: right um yeah um about like that like i feel like some people don't know like some of these resources exist like i know when i um i have a personal connection to the rare disease community Um, my grandmother had a rare cancer um, and I really didn't know, like, the rare disease community existed until um, I did some, like, research on my own about, like, resources I could do, use to help her and stuff like that. And that's when I really, like, found this amazing community. So I feel like it's really reaching out, about reaching out and discovering these resources because you never know they exist until you, like, start looking for them. Oh,
1: I'm absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so excited that at your young age that you are getting into this. I see more and more like through Every Life Foundation's um, Yard Leadership Academy, you know, young people are getting very excited about advocacy work. And I know some universities are now, you can get a degree in advocacy work. It's been kind of interesting to see that um, evolve. So it's just, it takes, our future is the folks like you, you and, and, and other people your age that are interested in this, to really help make things happen, so it's more—it's very much more exciting for me to talk to you than the other way around because, like, I'm excited to see that you're doing something about it. You know, Thank you. You're like, <laughs> awareness is so important with these podcasts. You're you're getting awareness for rare disease out there. That is key. That is very, That is just key.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree, and I feel like education is really needed, um, especially now among our generation, um, because a lot of people like don't know about these rare diseases they may know about like perhaps like the more common ones because i know like a lot of people may know know about things like narcolepsy stuff like that but these like ultra rare diseases that are the genetic ones and that require like gene therapy stuff like that i feel like awareness is greatly needed for those so yeah
1: yeah because 80 percent of rare diseases are genetic Mm -hmm. so that's it's very important yeah
0: Um, All right. So just to kind of close out, I would like to thank you so much, Tara, for joining me on my podcast today and sharing all this wonderful information with my listeners. Um, I'm sure everyone will find it helpful. So just thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. Oh, thank you so much. And, And you're doing a great job. So thank you. Thank you for having me.